Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me, as usual, is my good friend and co-host, Scott Hemingway. Say hello, Scott. Well, hi, Mike, and hello to you all. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening. Thank you. I'm glad they're listening, too. Yeah, yeah. I always want to say I'm glad you're watching, but they're not. They, they Well, are, I don't know. Maybe have you looked watching. out the curtains? I don't know. Maybe there's yeah. something. This is in Britain. We're not being watched 24-7. <laughs> <so>. uh, maybe <laughs> we should, though. Yeah. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadians chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and a Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Stomp, stomp, stomp. You're stomping on the... Mm-hmm. I'm stomping, Mike. Oh. Listeners who feel they are in crisis can contact the crisis text line in Canada by texting HOME to 686868. In the US or UK, text HOME to 741741. You'll be matched with a volunteer counsellor who's supervised by a licensed, trained mental health professional. Crisis text line is free, 24-7 support for those in crisis. For more information, please go to crisistextline.ca in Canada or crisistextline.org globally. Let's get on with the show. Yeah, let's do that. And so as we'll be celebrating Canada Day, mm-hmm. we'll be taking much needed one week break after this episode. Can we get some nappies in there, Mike? Yeah, I'm going to oh, get a nap. Good. Yeah. Good. And I thought that for Canada Day, mm-hmm. we should cover something a little special. Oh, I like that. This is a topic that I have been obsessed with since I was a wee ankle biter. You you even sometimes wear an item that displays this love. Yeah. So this is episode 131, an introduction to Sasquatch. Yeah, I have a number of different Sasquatch shirts. and you, I think you wore your your Sasquatch cardigan. Yes, uh, I did. At the live show. I did. Yeah. I definitely did. So, exactly. Yeah, it's very clear that I'm a Sasquatch yeah. fan. Sasquatchanese. Global myths and legends are jam-packed with stories of thousands of fabulous animals that may or may not have ever existed. 
The study of these creatures is called cryptozoology and considered a pseudoscience by naysayers and people who are probably not much fun at parties. <laughs> well, you can be some fun debates with them. Yeah, sure. But, uh, yeah. According to the Canadian Encyclopedia, quote, Cryptozoology is the scientific study of unknown animals about which only circumstantial or at best insufficient material evidence is available. Because these animals are unknown rather than monstrous, the term cryptid, from the Greek cryptos meaning hidden, introduced in 1985 by Canadian cryptozoologist John Wall, has gradually replaced monster in their description. Cryptids are reported from many parts of the world in local folklore and explorers' reports. Widely known examples include still mysterious creatures like the Loch Ness Monster in Scotland and the abominable snowman in the Himalayas, Mm -hmm. giant varieties of animals like squid and Mm -hmm. octopus, Mm -hmm. and creatures usually thought to be extinct such as the Mokeli Mbembe, a dinosaur-like animal reported from equatorial Africa, end quote. Would the chupacabra fit this? Yes. Yeah. Chupacabra would be a cryptid. Yeah. And I want to cover some more cryptids. Yeah. Um, there's plenty in Canada. They're so fascinating. So they really are. And don't forget the, the term. man in New Jersey or Exactly. Yeah. And the term cryptid, going by a Canuck. Yeah. So Woo-woo. put that in your pipe and smoke it. Put that in your Jolly Rancher and eat it. Jolly Rancher. I don't know. It just, it just came out of my head. We've talked about another cryptid on the show. In episode 113, we covered the elusive lake creature, Ogopoco. Yes, we did. The Okanagan oddity. And she's a well-known Canadian cryptid. Absolutely. I call her a she because I think Ogopoco is a, a lady. Well, that's really, really open-minded of you. Well, you know, I've, I've heard Ogopogo called he for all these years. So yeah. how, how do we know it's we not don't, a she? We don't know. How do we don't. Maybe it, has, it doesn't identify as either. But the we best, but the best known cryptid in North American lore has to be Sasquatch, or oh, more commonly yeah. Bigfoot. The Sasquatch is described as a large, hairy, human-like creature believed to roam the wilderness in Western Canada and Northwestern United States, and to a lesser extent, other provinces and states. The origins of the legends can be traced back to indigenous mythology and folklore as far back as thousands of years, nearly every group had a story about a two-legged man beast in the forests. Yeah, I, I think we've talked a lot throughout time of the show about my, my skepticism towards a lot of things, but cryptozoology, cryptids, mm-hmm. they're just something that just get me excited. Yeah, it's fascinating. You know, I, I just, I rem- oh my God, like I can remember being terrified of Bigfoot when I, back in the day, watching uh, Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. And, you know, uh, they had cases of Bigfoot on there, and I was just like, oh, this is real, and I would just be so terrified. Yeah. Like, I, I always imagine when I'm camping when I was a kid, oh, Bigfoot's going to come out and get me. Well, it may. It, he may he may have lingered. He may have been like, oh, what's in there? Ah, there's no meat on that. This is just bones, and then <laughs> took off. That's not worth my effort. So if Bigfoot is real, what kind of animal is it? Like, is it mm. uh, a Neanderthal? Is it some other form of great ape? Some people think it could be a relative of the Gigantopithecus blackie. And first identified in uh, 1935, Gigantopithecus blackie is believed to be the largest ape ever to have roamed the earth. Oh. And this true giant was thought to have stood nearly three meters or nine feet tall 
and weighed in at 600 kilograms or over 1,300 pounds. That's a chonky man. That is chonky for sure. It appeared in China between 6 and 9 million years ago and uh, didn't disappear till about 100,000 years ago, oh, wow. meaning it possibly lived alongside the earliest humans. Oh, ooh. Right? Ooh. A National Geographic article states that Gigantopithecus, a fruit eater, failed to adapt to the grass, roots, and leaves that became the dominant food sources in its new environment. Hmm. So, who knows? Did it go extinct, though? Bigfoot expert Christopher L. Murphy speculates in his book, Sasquatch in British Columbia, that some of these creatures may have migrated into Alaska hmm. by way of the land bridge joining Asia and North America. Is this, <laughs> is this an invisible land bridge? No, it was during the oh, Ice Age. I I, just trying to make it funny. That's not funny. Though. Well, that's debatable. Okay. <laughs> this would explain the sightings specific to the west coast of Canada and the mm -hmm. United States. So... Maybe there is something hiding in the woods. Murphy also points to petroglyphs and pictographs from oh. around 500 AD and before in Sasquatch sighting hotspots here in BC like Harrison mm -hmm. and Bella Coola. Are there so, actually... Pictographs and those kind of things. Really? Depicting, eh? yep. And there's oh, there's also carvings and, and all kinds wow. of different things. Yeah. Oh, eight, that's fascinating. Eight looking masks. Yeah. They were created by indigenous peoples living in the region at the time, and they appear to show depictions of scary-looking, massive, two-legged creatures. Yeah, you know, and you've, you've got to put some weight behind stuff like that. You know, you've got in uh, some of the ruins in Egypt, and I believe even in the Inca temples, that, you know, they've got... Um, what look to be the what we call gray aliens mm -hmm. in them, and, and you have those kind of things. Ha you have to scratch your head because they certainly weren't influenced by media. No movies. No, it wasn't like I saw that on TV. Yeah, and I transposed it onto. Yeah, forgot yeah. about it, but it's still back there. And so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, you've got to. It's hard to disprove those kind of things. Yeah, and there were also ancient carvings of large footprints. And these ape-like masks also appeared in artworks of the indigenous peoples mm. on places like totem poles. Okay. So it's pretty fascinating stuff. Now, on the flip side, I would say, okay, well, if they were, if they had seen them back in that time, mm -hmm. um, and that was a far, far, far smaller mass of people, smaller population, why would we not see them now when we've encroached more? Well, some people argue that, you know, these creatures are intelligent and have moved further into the wild to get away from humanity. Yeah, and may, may deem us not as welcoming. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Whereas the indigenous groups at that time may have come off as completely, um, oh, these are people we can... Because they're more attuned welcoming. with the earth. Yes. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. You got it. Yeah. According to scenicsasquatch.com, quote, the classic name Sasquatch is a word in Chinook dialect derived from a Coast Salish language, Halkomalem, from the lower Fraser Valley, and it's written S-A-S-Q apostrophe E-T-S, and in phonetics, Susquich. Oh. Yeah. Susquich. Susquich, yep. Oh, very neat. Yeah. In Robert J. Alley's well-researched book, Raincoast Sasquatch, a UBC anthropologist, Wilson Duff, explained his understanding of the legend as told to him by members of the Stalo Coast Salish Nation, whose traditional lands 
are within the Fraser Valley. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, so UBC, for those who don't know, that's a local university of British Columbia. So Canada's number three um, uh, university. Number three? That's what I heard yesterday, actually. Well, there you go. Yeah. Quote, Sasquatches are usually seen singly. They are described as men covered with dark fur, more than eight feet tall, who leave footprints about 20 inches long. The Sasquatches would cause unconsciousness if they touch a person. They would abduct women whom they would keep. They would cause those women to have half-human children, and they would steal fish and other food for their native wives and children. They were said to have some form of simple language, which some women learned, and if the woman managed to escape and re-enter society, she would suffer bouts of unconsciousness because she had been with the Sasquatches and wasn't like a human anymore. She had forgotten her language, and hair was starting to grow all over her body, end quote. Well, now that's not so uh, spectacular. It's pretty creepy. Yeah. Yeah. And just by, like, osmosis of being near them, you're going to start to grow Well, hair? maybe there's something to it. I don't know. I don't know. It could be, they could be some very powerful creature. I mean, I've met a few people. Right. Who seem, to, who seem to be growing. I grow hair in weird places, like on my shoulder and out of my ears. <laughs> That's just because I'm getting old. Patchy hair replacement. Exactly. According to the American Museum of Natural History, the Haida people called this creature Gajihit. And Gajihit started as a human who nearly drowned, then landed ashore. This experience turned his face blue from exposure and transformed him into a wild, even insane creature. This story acted as a reminder to young Haida to stay close to home at night. Oh, fascinating. Mm-hmm. So almost a seemingly an old wives' tale to keep children to behave. Right. And to make children behave. Yeah, yeah, interesting. As Europeans made their way west, they were regaled with tales of the Sasquatch by the indigenous peoples they met. Mm-hmm. Europeans began having their own encounters. Eminent Sasquatch researcher and author Christopher L. Murphy, who we mentioned before, runs the site SasquatchCanada.com. It's packed with years of research on the subject of Sasquatch and boasts a massive database of Bigfoot sightings around B.C. and into Alberta, and also the Yukon. I'm going to go out on a limb and say uh, Christopher is a believer? I would say he is. Mm-hmm. He's definitely a researcher. Oh, He's, his books are jam-packed yeah. full of stuff. It's pretty fascinating. So well well dot like well, yeah, well he's an expert. He's a, he's a Bigfoot oh expert for sure. Oh my god, that's sure. incredible. That site refers to what may be the first sighting in Canada of Bigfoot by European eyes. In a January 7, 1811 journal entry, a geographer named David Thompson, who was a member of a group exploring what is now Jasper National Park, very near the border with British Columbia, wrote about finding footprints that may have belonged to this creature. His journal entry indicates that massive tracks were found that he supposed were from a grizzly, but the others with him, including some experienced indigenous trackers, disagreed. Mm. They thought it may have been something bipedal. Mm. According to SasquatchCanada.com and according to NW Voyager, Thompson later wrote, quote, I now recur to what I have already noticed in the early part of last winter when proceeding up the Athabasca River to cross the mountains in company with men and four hunters on one of the channels of the river we came to the track of a large animal which measured 14 inches by 8 inches in breadth by tape. 
As snow was about six inches in depth, the track was well-defined and we could see it for a full hundred yards from us. This animal was proceeding from north to south. We did not attempt to follow it. We had no time for it. And the hunters, eager as they are to follow and shoot every animal, made no attempt to follow the beast for what could the balls of our fouling guns do to such an mm-hmm. animal. So they just had bird hunting r- rifles. It's still, though, it's a rifle, and they're... This creature was so large to them that it's like, well, this is like, might, it's as, well, might, might as well shoot uh, spitballs at it. Exactly. Yeah. Get me a straw. The, uh, the article goes on to say, reports from the old times had made the head branches of this river and the mountains in the vicinity the abode of one or more very large animals to which I never appeared to give credence. So this guy wasn't a believer either. Mm-hmm. For these reports appeared to arise from that fondness for the marvelous so common to mankind. But the sight of the track of that large beast staggered me, and I often thought of it. Yet, never could bring myself to believe such an animal existed, but I thought it might be the track of some monster bear. Yeah, yeah, which uh, I think that would be a more logical and reasonable. But, uh, again, the others said it was bipedal. And bear don't tend to walk around for hundreds of yards on two feet. I don't know. I've seen bears ride bicycles in videos in Russia. (sighs) Moving on. (laughs) According to SasquatchCanada.com, through the 1800s, 1900s, and 2000s, here in BC and Alberta and the Yukon, there are over 900 recorded instances of mysterious footprints discovered or actual eyewitness sightings of the Sasquatch. Mm -hmm. What follows are only a few of the most interesting accounts. In the Fraser River Canyon in 1864, Alexander Caulfield Anderson, a Hudson Bay Company explorer and fur trader, wrote in his journal that he and his party were attacked by hairy humanoids which threw rocks at them in the Fraser River from the cliffs above. Hmm. So can you imagine? You're you're just doing your thing along the Fraser River. Maybe you're canoeing or walking mm-hmm. along a trail down below. And here come some rocks. Here come some rocks, and you look up, and there's these hairy things. Which, you know, that I would imagine that would be something that a ape-like creature, just some kind of non-human creature, uh, would do. Yeah. To try to be like, you know, get away, get away, and throw rocks and, you know. You would think. Yeah, I would think. And I did. (laughs) A report from the Harrison Mills, B.C. area in 1871 claimed that a 17-year-old indigenous girl named Seraphine Long from the Chehalis Nation was kidnapped by a Sasquatch and held for some time. Oh, shit. She was able to escape after being held for a year, returning to her reservation heavily pregnant, where she gave birth that same night. Sweet jibbers. According to Christopher L. Murphy in his book, Sasquatch in B.C., a chronology of incidents and important events, the baby died after only a few hours. I don't know if thankfully... I was going to say, maybe that's a good thing? I don't know. I mean... Yeah. Murphy continued, quote, At the time of her disappearance, she was about to marry a young indigenous man named Koilak and was last seen going to gather cedar roots. Seraphine stated that she had been abducted by one of the hairy giants said to inhabit the region. The creature smeared tree gum over her eyelids so that she could not see 
hoisted her on his shoulder and raced off with the struggling woman to a cave on Mount Morris. And Mount Morris is more of a hill. Okay. So it's yeah, kind of, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Here, she was kept prisoner with her abductor and his elderly parents. They fed me well, she said. After almost one year, she grew sick and pleaded with her captor, I wish to see my own people before I die. He reluctantly gave in and after putting tree gum on her eyelids, carried her back to her reservation. When she was interviewed in 1925, she said she was glad her baby died and hoped that she would never see a hairy giant again, end quote. Okay, so just being devil's advocate here, that sounds a lot to me. 17. Yeah. Ran away, essentially. Uh, fell in love with somebody else. Yeah, Sasquatch. <laughs> like, to the story. I'm saying... If I you, got you. If so you're gonna, you, you think she made it up? I, I think maybe she, yeah, she fell in love with somebody else and took off. They went and ran and lived somewhere else or in the woods or whatever. And then after a year, like, uh, shit, I'm going to have a baby. This is going to happen. I should probably get back. To... She kept this story up until she was a very old woman and passed away. Well, but I mean, you probably, I think you'd have to stay committed to a story like that. I guess so. But, um, and that's where my mind goes. But yeah, I can imagine if, uh, if it was a Sasquatch. I don't, th- yeah, that's, that's child is going to have a tough, uh, life. Yeah. Half Sasquatch, half human. Yeah. A lot yeah. of teasing probably and yeah. bit bouts of rage. Sure. Smashing through walls and stuff like that. Okay. Well, it's yep. giant. And as we mentioned before, the kidnapping of indigenous women is, is quite a theme and mentioned numerous times over the years. Is it? Oh Yeah. Yep. Uh, in Bigfoot in British Columbia, Murphy also mentions a story from 1884 as told by Annie York, a distinguished elder of the Lakapamux people of the Spuzzum First Nations in Spuzzum, British Columbia. Oh my God. And that's in the lower Fraser Canyon. She lived between 1904 and 1991. I wanted to dive deeper into what Annie had to say, so I purchased the book Spuzzum. Fraser Canyon Histories, 1808 to 1939. The book's probably bigger than the town. It's a PDF, so it wasn't very big. <laughs> Neither's the town. Right. And I bought it from the University of British Columbia Press. So Sweet. Published by UBC. Yeah. On page 87, Annie nonchalantly tells a tale that had been related to her by her elders. Mm-hmm. And I'll paraphrase below for time, but we'll ensure to keep the story intact. And this is how it goes. Chief Pellick was the chief as far as Five Mile Creek, and he ruled the band. When the CPR was laying track through this area, there was a construction camp along the long tunnel above Spuzzum. The contractors living there noticed food going missing from their meat house. Mm. Two men took some rope, and they stayed up all night to watch this meat house to see what was stealing their yeah, meat. Yeah, yeah, stakeout. Yeah, we would do that. Yeah, let's it, do. I want to do it now. Let's I do a totally stakeout. Totally would do that. They were surprised to see a Sasquatch sneaking into the meat house. They lassoed it around the neck, startling the creature. It jumped, and when it tried to flee, the rope snapped its neck, and the Sasquatch died. Well, that's a tragic outcome. It isn't good. One of the members of the Spuzzum Band came along soon after and saw the two white men looking at this monster laying on its back. Mm-hmm. He raced down to Spuzzum and told the chief what had happened, and that the white man had captured and killed a Sasquatch. The chief went with his warriors to the construction camp, and when he got there, his interpreter asked what they had done with the creature. Yeah, yeah. And, oh well, said one of the men, 
we plan to bury it. So they hadn't buried it yet. They mm-hmm. just had mm-hmm. had it kept near the meat house. Yeah. The chief insisted he would claim the body because his people have always reverenced these Sasquatches. Yeah. Some indigenous people believe the Sasquatch is a human being, and they always claim the body and bury it or put it on a scaffold exposed to the elements if that's the kind of system that they have for burial. Okay. The white men gave up the Sasquatch and gave the body over to the chief. The chief took it back to Spuzzum with his band Mm -hmm. and gave it his blessing and buried the creature as a human being on their land. Wow. When boys or girls are young and want to be medicine men, their father or grandfather takes them up to the mountains and leaves them there with very little to eat. They had to sleep and pray and stay alone, and some of them never returned. They became wild in the woods and never came home again. And this is where some legends claim the Sasquatch comes from. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, that is, that is fast. I love this kind of history. Yeah, it's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Amid the sightings, though, there have been a number of hoaxes, which kind of muddy the waters, making it a lot harder to prove the actual existence of one of the creatures. Yeah. Most people immediately write off anybody presenting a Sasquatch as a prankster or saying they've seen one, mm-hmm. and some rightly so. But the sightings and claims of Bigfoot evidence still continue. In 1911, a man named Anthony Fraser spotted, quote, a wild man drinking from the river. When it noticed him, the creature jumped up and took off into the brush, leaving footprints measuring 17 inches long. Sweet Jesus. That's That's a a big foot. Yeah. In 1957, a man named Albert Ostman told Vancouver province reporter of his own abduction and imprisonment by a family of Sasquatch while prospecting for gold deep in the forest, 75 miles north of Toba Inlet in the fall of 1924. Hmm. Ostman said that late one night, a Sasquatch scooped him up as he slept. Jesus, that's not what you want. Ostman told the reporter, quote, All I knew is that I was being carried and that the sleeping bag was pulled so tight around my neck that I almost choked. He just slung me over his shoulder, and away he went. Damn. Can you imagine? Damn. I, I'm trying not to. I would shit my sleeping Holy bag. Holy shit. I, <laughs> I definitely would poop the sleeping bag. I just, I'm trying to, like, because you wouldn't know what that, you're just like, what the F, what yeah, the F is carrying? That's, car- that's what I, he's what, saying. What's he happening? Would, he didn't know. What, uh, why, what, what is carrying me? Osman claimed he was, quote, taken to a cave-like shelter under a rock cliff where he saw an old female Sasquatch and a young male, and a female. And the old man, the one who had carried him, who was about seven feet tall and weighed between five and 600 pounds. Good God. That's massive. My, that, that's chonky. The old lady was slightly smaller, while the young male stood six feet and weighed 200 pounds. The young female was about six feet tall and 100 pounds, so a little more slim. He described the four creatures as, quote, covered with short hair, and wore no clothing. Their food consisted of fruit and nuts, and no meat. Mr. Osman Mm. said he was running short of supplies and decided he must escape from the family, although at no time did they molest or harm him. Phew! That's that's what you want. Right. He said, They were definitely human, although primitive, and seemed more curious about me than anything, Mm. he said. Every time I would attempt to leave, though, the old man would block the way. But one day I was taking a bit of snuff 
and I noticed the old man was very curious. So you know what snuff is? is like it's a tobacco, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's like a tobacco yeah. snuff. So I handed him the tin. He opened his mouth and emptied the tin in one gulp. And was he ever sick? Jesus. While the old man was busy being sick, I grabbed my belongings and ran as fast as I could. Huh. I got away okay, and I wasn't harmed a bit. But after living with them a week, I'm sure they are merely a band of indigenous folks who have lost touch with civilization. Interesting. Huh. They don't want to harm anyone and don't want anyone to harm them. My advice to anyone going out hunting for them is just to leave them alone. They probably won't want any part of us, and I don't blame them. Their speech was a sort of chattering, and even though they wore no clothing, they used blankets made of moss woven with strips of cedar bark, and they never used a fire, end quote. So my my initial thought is, well, this doesn't make sense. Why would they take, what, what do they gain by taking you and have you come live with them? And then I immediately, after that thought, well, I'm sure that's what my dog is thinking. Right. <laughs> like, exactly. Well, what the hell purpose am I doing? Why would they just... That, they were his pet, or he was their pet. Totally. Yeah. Like exactly. Just, yeah. It's just like, you know, Oh, I'm, look at this cute little thing. Oh, I'm taking him. this I'm cute little hairless him. thing. I'm going to take it with I'm me. It looks him. just kind of like us. I'm yeah. just going to drag it along. Yeah, and I'm sure exactly, my dog is probably thinking, what the hell am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> and he has to stay in the house. He can't yeah. go out alone. Yeah. Yeah. Block the door if he tries to go out. Yeah, he's probably going to write a book just like this. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. The things he would do in front of me. And we'll take a break right here. And we're back. Thoughts so far on our uh, inaugural Bigfoot love episode. It. Love it. Love it. Yeah, it's fun, the, right? The, the history is fantastic. Learning about um, the source of a tale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. So my own obsession with Sasquatch began in the 1970s. Wow. So it was first through television, but somehow I came into possession of a 200-page signet paperback oh. giving a brief history of the cryptid God. written by Don Hunter and Renee DeHinden on its cover with the title Sasquatch in bold black letters across the yellow background above two frames of the famous Bluff yeah. Creek, California yeah. film shot by Bigfoot hunters Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin on October 20th, 1967. And I just handed my copy of that is book. Is that the to, one you had? From that the is se- not the one oh, that I had wow. from the 70s. I had to reorder it, yeah. but I was so pleased that I found it again. No because- kidding. And if you, if you, if you don't know that, what that video footage is from the stills on the cover, you're wrong. You do know it. You have seen it. Well, the controversial film yeah. is now called the Patterson-Gimlin film. Yeah. It's less than a minute in length, and it appears to show a large, hairy, bipedal, ape-like figure with short black or brown hair covering most of its body, including prominent breasts. The figure in the film appears to be loping away from the filmmakers, swinging its arms as it goes, and looking back several times. You've yep. seen the silhouette uh, a I, million I, times. I've, uh, yeah, that's, that's on what, my sweater. That's why I'm saying, like, if you think that you haven't seen this... You have. You have. Trust me, you have. If you are uh, if you have the capabilities of listening to a podcast, somehow, some way, you have seen this. Well, we're going to post a link to the Patterson-Gimlin yeah. film anyway. But frame 352 is the one that shows the best view of the beast looking yeah. directly at the camera. We have it up here on the screen. 
And you can see it loping along there. That's a great word. <laughs> yeah. Very apt. Patterson is gone now. Both he and Gimlin, who actually shot the film, denied that the film was a hoax, saying it was a chance encounter. However, in a 1999 telephone interview with television producer Chris Packham for the BBC's X Creatures, Gimlin said that for some time, quote, I was totally convinced that no one could fool me, and of course I'm an older man now. I think there could have been the possibility of a hoax, but it would have to be really well planned by Roger Pattison, end quote. So, uh-huh. he's not saying that it was a hoax, but he's he's said that it could have been. Yes. You know? Well, and with age, you do... Uh, Tend to reflect on yes, things. Yes, and, and you, not necessarily will change your mind, but you can't... It, it's very common to then sit there and go like, okay, well, it's possible. Possible. I stand by what I saw. Yeah. But for sure, it is possible that something could have happened without my knowledge. In a 2016 article for Outside Magazine, Bob Gimlin, who's still alive, shared more about his experience after the release of the famous footage. He said, it ruined me. Hmm. He was called a liar, too many times to count, and his wife and other family members were harassed due to their association with him Hmm. and what many believe to be one of the most enduring hoaxes around this particular cryptid. From the Outside Magazine article, quote, I can understand why they don't believe it, because I didn't believe it either. Gimlin recalls telling John Green, a prominent Canadian Bigfoot researcher, on a phone call during this period. Mm. But I saw one, and I know what I saw, and I know it wasn't a man in a suit. It couldn't have been, end quote. In 1968, the year after Patterson and Gimlin returned, the Gimlin swore to never speak of Bigfoot again, But the video was out, and Gimlin was, and remains, stuck to the center of the debate, anchored like the sun in a growing solar system, with believers and skeptics orbiting around him, end quote. So I thought a few years back it was proven to be a hoax. Nobody's ever proven really. I don't. I don't know why people have people have people have given opinion that it is a hoax. But I thought I thought one of the uh, somebody 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 came forward to say like yes. Someone claimed that they had made a suit. Okay, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that claim is true either. Could just be somebody trying to uh, get involved into the story. Yeah, Yeah. look at me. I I created this thing that fooled you for all these years. I'd be proud of that too. So it makes sense that that what I probably remember seeing was just a. a uh, theory, somebody's theory as opposed to what happened or somebody trying to inject themselves. Exactly. Okay. So speaking of John Green, who we just mentioned, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention one of the most famous Bigfoot Bigfoot researchers of all time, who was from right here in BC. Mm -hmm. John Willison Green, born in Vancouver on February 12th, 1927, also a newspaper man, was one of the best-known Sasquatch experts in North America, Mm. if not the world. Mm. He became fascinated with Bigfoot in 1957 after meeting one of the authors of the Sasquatch book that got me hooked all those years ago, that Swiss-born Sasquatch hunter, Rene Dehinden. He and Dehinden began interviewing people claiming to have had their own encounters and also came into possession of casts of Bigfoot prints from various places. These prints can be seen 
at the John Green Exhibition at the museum in Kilby, B.C. It's a little tiny place. Never heard of it. I have been there. It is fascinating, albeit small, but it's really, really fascinating mm. to be there and see these casts of yeah, big shit. feet. And like, that would be fantastic. It is really, really oh, cool. Wow. So if you ever get a chance to go to Kilby, B.C., it's outside of Harrison, obviously. Well, that's we, not too far, then. No. So, uh, yeah, definitely take it, maybe take the girls up there. Yeah. There's like a little general store and a a beautiful garden outside. And uh, Harrison's like an hour and a half drive. So, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Here is John Green relating the story of one sighting in the 1972 film Bigfoot Man or Beast. And we'll link to the whole thing in our show notes Mm. because you can watch it all on the YouTubes. (gasps) The YouTubes. By 1956, there had been several such reported sightings which had been reported in small local newspapers. Mr. John Green, publisher of a newspaper at Harrison Hot Springs, British Columbia, began investigating some of these sightings. Here is John Green to report on a sighting he investigated in 1957. When I first came here in about 1957, it was still pretty well open. But all this has has grown up since then. So uh, what happened at that time was that... uh, Mrs. George Chapman, who lived in a house down by the river behind me here, uh, she was in the house and the children were outside. One of them came in and told her that there was a cow coming out of the woods. So she looked out and she saw this man-like thing, but uh, about eight feet tall and completely covered with hair like a bear. And uh, she knew it to be a Sasquatch. Uh, this was, you know, quite a well-known thing to the Indian people. And she was frightened, so she took the children, ran down to the river, and then through the graveyard, which is right behind me here, and uh, came out just about here onto the track and then uh, ran on down to Ruby Creek. Now, uh, she'd really only had one quick look at the thing, so uh, it wouldn't be that convincing a story, except that a lot of people immediately went back there and saw these enormous tracks. So the tracks that they found were, uh, the length between them was massive. Mm-hmm. So this thing the had to be gates. a very big creature. Yeah. And one of them went over a fence. It looked like stepped over a fence that was would come up to your neck. Holy shit. Yeah, so that's a, that's a pretty big creature Holy walking shit. through there. And they, they took casts and all that kind and, of stuff there. And, and good on her for her evasive maneuvers. Even if she's wrong and it's a bear, yeah, get the hell out of there. Yeah, right? Yeah, man, no right call, right call. Don't just like, well, what's going on over here? Yeah. Let me go get a closer gander. <laughs> exactly. And that guy, that new, you always do your like newscast. Oh, the news boy. Yeah. It's so, like, <laughs> it's so legit though. It's like everything. Ah, uh, We've got a case happening. I can't. Yeah, I can't right. do it. But you like it's totally that that news uh, yeah. announcer's voice. Oh my! God. It, it is that one of those kind of voices. breaking. We've got a news story. Yeah. Breaking news. Well, that's what I'm thinking about when I do that yeah. stuff. From Wikipedia, quote: As a renowned authority in the field, Green appeared as a keynote speaker at three of the major scientific Sasquatch symposia, beginning with the May 1978 British Columbia University of Anthropology of the Unknown Sasquatch and Similar Phenomena Conference. 
Green authored several Sasquatch books, including Sasquatch, The Apes Among Us, which I have, Mm -hmm. regarded by the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, the BFRO, as the best written book on the subject. BFRO. 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 It has recently been reissued. I have it. Along with an updated combination of two earlier books, which I also have, and is titled The Best of Sasquatch, Bigfoot, end quote. So it's like the, like the greatest hits, Bigfoot's greatest hits. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. It's John Green's greatest Bigfoot hits, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah. In a, one of the issues of Relict Hominid Inquiry in 2015, Lauren Coleman wrote a brief tribute to John Green. It says in part, quote, John Green has enriched the study of unknown hair-covered primates in North America for decades. He once told a reporter that he had a database of more than 3,000 sightings and track reports before the advent of the Internet. I also have a copy of Of his database. Of course you do. He holds the title as the primary chronicler in Sasquatch studies. His work in the field has led to some affection, led some to affectionately refer to John Green as Mr. Sasquatch. <laughs> John Green, a historical figure, major chronicler, he was the guest of honor at a tribute to John Green held in the Harrison Hot Springs from April 8th till the 10th in 2011, attended by over 300 specially invited patrons. Tributes were given by most of the well-known figures in the field, recognizing John Green's contributions and legacy to the study of these unknown hominids known as Sasquatch and Bigfoot. The field of Sasquatch studies would have an entirely different personality mm. if it were not for the gentle giant named John Green, end quote. I, I love that John Green was the guest of honor at a John Green tribute. Well, you, it's like a roast, I, I guess, know, him, I know. but it's not really a roast. So this guy played like, a huge role in, in what we yeah. view and think of yep. as Bigfoot. Wow. Um, and he died in 2016. Well, he, okay. Pretty old, yeah. He was, he was late eighties, yeah. yeah. Uh, eighteen twenty or sorry, nineteen twenties. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. I recently spoke with a friend, Dave Scott. <gasps> he has been interested in Sasquatch for many years and talks about that subject and many other supernatural and paranormal subjects on his popular radio show called Spaced Out Radio. You can hear it in various places live from 9 p.m. to midnight Pacific every weeknight. And to find out more and listen, just go to his website, spacedoutradio.com. From his website, quote, Dave's personal quest into the unknown started in December of 2011 when he had contact from what he calls the angel of death that he saw in his mother's eyes, which led to his first channeling experience. After this incident, Dave's personal experiences started becoming more frequent. Paranormal experiences, premonitions started coming true, end quote. But the reason that I wanted to speak to him is that he claims to have had his own, quote, Bigfoot sighting with two of the creatures within 100 feet of him. Oh, my God, yes. So here's a bit of my chat yes. with Dave Scott. Yes. Well, I've had actually three Bigfoot experiences. The first two happened within... A couple of days going back to September of 2013, where a friend of mine in Mission, British Columbia, had 10 acres that backed onto a mountain. And back when he was a kid, that property had been in his family for 40 plus years. And back when he was a kid, he had a paranormal experience back in the forest that he wanted to show me 
where it happened. The property had a lot of paranormal activity that was happening on it. So he really wanted to show me where this happened. And this was when I was just getting into everything that was that was really, really strange and weird. And I had no clue about this. Dude, I didn't even know there was any paranormal groups out there. Mm. You know, I never checked Facebook or Twitter or anything about that. And so we walk about 300 yards into the forest and we come across this tree that is snapped at about eight feet high. Oh, crazy. And it was a, it was a very healthy tree. Okay. It was probably eight inches in diameter. Wow. So pretty thick, pretty thick. Yeah. And, and it was broken off at about eight feet high. And we were sitting there looking at this, this tree, trying to figure out why a healthy tree like this would be broken. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I recall looking at this tree stump and here we were, all the bark was peeled right off of it, you know, in like strips, you know, that was still connected to, to the piece that had fallen to the ground. And it was just very strange because in that area, we had no wind storms. We had no lightning storms. There was nothing that should have pushed a a healthy tree like that over. There was no bug marks. You know, you think of the pine beetle or something along those Mm -hmm. lines. Nothing was there. And it was strange. And after a few minutes of of doing an extremely amateur investigation on this, I kind of joked around. And I said, you know, Sasquatch has been known to pull trees down mm-hmm. as marking signs because I was a little bit into learning about Sasquatch, but nothing like very pressing. Yeah. And it was shortly after that comment that we started getting a weird feeling that we were being watched. Oh, wow. And shortly after that, we started looking around where we all of a sudden looked due north of us and there was this fir tree that was kind of a little bit in the shade and surrounded by sunlight. And when we looked down into uh, into the 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 stump of the tree, even though it's a full tree, or um, it looked like there was something there mm. staring back at us. Oh wow! In, in the shadows. Now this is about a hundred feet away from us. Right. And we're and we're looking at this, and we're like, and and his name is Dave as well. I said, Dave, did you see? Do you see that? And he goes, see what? And I pointed the direction. I said, behind that tree, does it not look like that's a face looking back at us? Oh, wow. And and he goes, I'll be damned. He goes, yeah, absolutely. And I'm like, dude, this is incredible. What is that? And the more we looked, all of a sudden it started moving. Yeah. And it would pull in behind the tree so we couldn't see it. Then it would peer out and look at us again. And then it would come, peer back in where, and then it would just get a little bit where it would be like, like one eye is looking around the tree and you could see the shoulder and the arm yep. and then it would pull back again. And we watched this for about five minutes. Wow. Now, because there was a lot of weird activity on that property, they had a couple of rules because they were very spiritual people mm-hmm. and they said no photography, no recording devices. Okay. No can. Okay. And because they, they wanted whatever was there to stay positive. They wanted whatever was there to, to not get scared away. They wanted their property to be known to whatever entities or whatever beings that this was a safe haven for them. Okay. Okay. So 
we're looking at this and Dave's like, all of a sudden Dave says, you know, let's leave this guy alone. It looks like a Sasquatch. We were able to see like little images of the face and he goes, let's just leave it alone. Yeah. And so we kind of, we kind of just said to it, he goes, thank you for Dave says, thank you for showing yourself to us. We're going to go now and leave you alone. So we start to turn back to head down, back down the trail towards Dave's house. Mm-hmm. And as I'm turning from my left to my right, I notice at about 75 feet. So if this first Sasquatch was at noon or 12 o'clock on a clock, go to about 1.30. Okay. Okay. And I see at about 75 feet away, I see this tree branch shaking vigorously. Oh, wow. And... This is where all of a sudden the second one walked right through where that tree branch was shaking. And I was able to get a full right profile from the waist up and the back up to the head and the reddish brown hair. And there was no neck and it was a pointy head and it was absolutely incredible. And I yelled at Dave and did Dave, there's the second one. And by the time Dave turned and looked, it was gone. Oh, wow. So a few days later, we were about four days later, Dave, myself, his ex-fiance at the time, and and a, a gentleman named Pascal, mm-hmm. we used to do t- perimeter walks because they had a lot of paranormal activity on the property. Sure. And we used to do paranormal walks around there to see what we'd pick up because we were all trying to enhance our own intuition and skills and everything like that. And it felt like we were being followed. Wow. So we walked into the backfield before the forest. And as we came out of the backfield, there was this pond back there that was surrounded by trees and brush. You couldn't even see it. Very small pond, Mm -hmm. but just big enough and deep enough where you could see it. All of a sudden, as we walked past the pond, it sounded like there was giant splashing. Almost like the sound of when a beaver tail hits water. Yep. Okay, but up on the mountain there, there's no beavers. Right. Yeah, it's a little okay. ways away. Yeah, there's no beavers. So here we are listening to this, and it splashed two or three times. All right, and we kept going, and we got to the back of the house, and at the back of the house by their old horse fence, Dave had this old, tall cherry tree that stood probably 20, 25, 30 feet high. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it, you know, cherry trees, when they're old, they, they look, the bark looks really black and gray, almost like it's burnt. Yeah. Okay. And I turned and looked because I had this feeling we were being followed. And I stopped the group and I said, do you guys see that? And they were see, said, see what? Well, if we're looking at the tree, on the left side, what would be our left side of the tree, okay, I'm looking from the ground on up to about 8, 10 feet, pixelation. Oh, strange. Pixelation that looks like, you know, when they pixelate someone's face on TV so you can't see their identity. Yeah. Okay, all those little squares. And I'm seeing this. And one other person in our group sees this. The other two, Dave and Pascal, do not. I wonder why. No idea. Mm. Part of the mystery. Yeah. So they get frustrated. They're like, I don't see anything. I don't see it. And I'm like, guys, it's, it's right there. How can you not see this? And the other person was like, yeah, I totally see it. And they described exactly what I was seeing. Mm-hmm. And so after about 30 seconds, 40 seconds, 
we uh, continue on with our walk around the to the front of the house. We get to the front of the house, and right behind that cherry tree, we got roared at. Oh wow! Okay, and it was the loudest roar slash shriek I have ever heard, and it lasted for about five six seconds. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, man, I we ran into the house. Was it like a howl? What like what was the it was like? It, it was like a it was like a, a roar slash howl. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, and very high pitched. I would have crapped my drawers and run too. Yeah, it, it was it it was freaky, dude. It was completely freaky. So that was the end of our of, of the Sasquatch in, encounter there. And then um, when I moved up north, mm-hmm. um, we found footprints. Uh, in an area here, two different size footprints. So we set up a gifting site and nothing really happened there that I could say was Sasquatch. Okay. We like, so we like, still have the gifting site there. What is a gifting site just for our listeners who aren't familiar with that? Well, the gifting site is a lot of people believe that Sasquatch has human capabilities. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you try and make friends with it, it will it will communicate back. Okay. So a lot of Bigfoot researchers that I've talked to on Spaced Out Radio have talked about building gifting sites. Now, in areas where there's no bears or wild, a lot of wild animals, where there is Sasquatch, people will put in Tupperware containers like lock and lock containers. They, they'll put food or juice boxes or whatever. Sure, yep trying to get any type of evidence. They'll put a mirror up. They'll put a brush up there in order to try and see if maybe, you know, any type of Sasquatch would brush their hair and maybe get a hair sample or whatever it may be. Okay. So that's kind of what a gifting site is. In okay. our gifting site, we have toys. We have uh, a couple of Christmas ornaments, including a bell, like anything shiny and bright that's going to attract any type of animal slash being. Wow. Okay. And we haven't had much happen there. Okay. But the, but the interesting part about it was uh, there was some things that were moved. Can we conclusively say without a – I don't have a trail cam out there. Can right. we conclusively say that it was Sasquatch? No. We haven't found any prints out there since 2017 or 2016. And then in 2017, in that area, we also had the forest fires hit. Right. And it wasn't until a couple of weeks ago, Mike – where we actually saw animal prints back in that area, like bears and wolves and, mm-hmm. and deer and moose and cougars. And, and so something like a hominid, past... something like a hominid would have moved on probably. For exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, but so did every other animal mm-hmm. in that area. Now the animals are back. And if you think of, of animals like deer or rabbits as being a food source, right. a potential food source for this creature, this means that it could come back. So the interesting part about it is where I live, which is just outside 100 Mile House, British mm-hmm. Columbia, uh, back in 1965, there was a plane crash. And to this day, it's still known as Canada's largest unsolved mass murder. It's Flight 21. It happened on July 8th, 1965, where a DC-6 
with Canadian Pacific Airlines blew up in the sky because there was a bomb on board. Right. Police, police have never been able to figure out who did it. And 52 people ended up tragically passing away because of that. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of crash debris still there. And so Mike Morin from Haunted Crew of Canada, good friend of mine. Yep. Him and I went out there with my buddy Mark. Okay. Now, my buddy Mark, uh, when you go into this area, you have to go in armed because there's a lot of wild animals out there that really could eat you yep. and kill you. Yep. Okay. The area is known for cougars, it's known for grizzly bears, giant moose, wild horses, wolverines. Wow. Okay. A lot of animals, black bears. Okay, a lot of animals that could do a, a human harm. Yeah. You don't want to go out there unarmed. So Mark comes as our bodyguard. And this was back in October, September, October of 2018. Mm-hmm. And we go into the crash site, and Mike starts doing his investigation, his paranormal investigation, where he's trying to see what happened. And... So as he is conducting the paranormal investigation, we do about 45 minutes to an hour there. And then Mike all of a sudden is like, you know, let's take this deer trail behind the crash site and let's just see where it goes. And we're like, okay, not a problem. So Mike's in the lead. I'm behind Mike and Mark, who is armed, is in behind us. And we walk through these trees and this meadow opens up. And it's not a big meadow, maybe 30 yards across, sure. maybe, maybe 60, 70 yards long, not very big. So Mark stops on the tree edge, and there's a giant boulder there uh, on the edge of the meadow. And he goes, guys, I'm going to stand here because I got a great view in case any wild animals approach. So how far is this from the, the crash scene, do you say? Oh, this is probably a couple, uh, you know, a couple hundred feet from the crash okay. scene and behind it. So I should also let people know that this crash site is 34 kilometers outside of 100 Mile House mm-hmm. in dense in dense bush and unless you knew where you were going you would you would pass the 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 driving trail to get on this okay to get on on the road and there's one way in and there's one way out right and you have to park your vehicle at the end of the trail because the trees have have fallen over and that's where you park. And then you go for about, you know, a couple hundred yard walk down into a gully and up, up the hill. And then the crash sites right on top. And it's, it's difficult to get there. I mean, it's, it's easy to get there, but it's difficult if you don't know where you're going or what you're doing. Right. Yeah. And so here we are, we go in behind and Mike and I cross the meadow and all of a sudden we start hearing a voice. Oh, wow. And that, and that voice is like this. So like a guttural rumbly kind of. Yeah. Okay. So I, yeah. And I said to Mike, I said, did you hear that? And Mike is a very skeptical person. And he goes, hear what Dave? Yeah. I said, did you hear that male voice? And he goes, yep. Oh, wow. And we heard, and we heard it with our ears. And he goes, so Mike and I start asking, who's here with us? Can you please talk to us again? And no answer. So we call back to Mark, who's behind us. And we say, Mark, was that you? And he's like, 
He's like, what do you mean? Yeah. We're like, was what we're me. like, did, 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 did you say something? And he's like, nope, didn't say a thing. Yeah. So we stand there and we ask a few more questions. And all of a sudden, again, Mike and I hear, <laughs> okay, so what's freaky about this is for any of your listeners who are into Bigfoot, you may have heard of Ronald Moorhead's Sierra Sounds. Okay, yep. And it, it wasn't mu- until months after this incident, I heard the Sierra Sounds again, and I heard that same type of voice in the background of what Ronald Moorhead captured in the Sierra Nevada mountains in California back in 1973. So we'll link to uh, the uh, Sierra sounds if we can find it on the internet. They're, they're on YouTube. Okay. Easy to find. I'll have a look. Yeah. So anyways, we go back to the crash site and Mike positions himself at the upper part of the crash site and I'm kind of in the middle, kind of in between Mike and Mark. Mark wanders into this cul-de-sac where the rescue vehicles, you know, were in there picking up the debris and the bodies of the people who had passed. Right. Okay. And that, and that cul-de-sac is still in there. And Mark's standing in the middle of the cul-de-sac. And all of a sudden, Mike starts walking towards me. He goes, I'm out of here. I said, why? He goes, there was just something really, really big, like 30 feet in front of me walking through the grass. I did not see it. I heard it, but I don't want to know what it is. Wow. And as I, as he says that he's approaching me, I turned to Mark and I said, Hey, Mark, I said, Mike just heard something. And, and as I'm saying that to Mark, I'm watching Mark. He all of a sudden puts up his hand, like, shut up, Dave. And he pulls the rifle off his shoulder because in front of Mark, who is who is facing west, there is something on two legs coming towards him. Oh, now, wow. I, ha- I have to explain Mark. OK, Mark is a type of person where he never believed in Sasquatch before. He has been a hunter his entire life. He has been a, a cougar and wolf tracker back in his days on Vancouver Island when he lived there. Mm-hmm. And he's been a hunting guide and a fishing guide. He is the all round uh, outdoorsman. OK, very experienced. And it, it's amazing to, to walk with him in the forest because you'll be walking along and you'll have your eyes to the ground looking for prints. And he'll be like, oh, you just stepped over a real big moose track. And you look down and you're like, where? And he, he'll be like, well, see how the leaf is bent here and, and, and the impression in, in the soil from that leaf? He goes, that's the, the toe of a moose. And you're, and you're looking at this and you're like, you got to be kidding me right <laughs> yeah. now. But, he, but he's so trained, okay, you take his word for it because that's what he used to get paid to do. Right. Right. As a, as a career. So anyways, Mark to this day did not see that creature, whatever that was. Yeah. Okay. But this is what he does say. He'll say, Dave, I don't know what it was. He goes, but I, I can tell you this. He goes, I know the difference between an animal on four legs and the noise it makes compared to something on two legs. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, this was making noise up high towards the trees. Like it wanted me to know that it was there. And he goes, most animals, when they get our scent, they are not coming around us. No, they'll just bugger off. Yeah. They'll just bugger off. Exactly. 
and whatever it was was not on four legs. That's crazy. So what what we'd like to do someday, I know we've talked we talked about it on your show is I would love to come up there and we should spend the night out there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it would be Here, great to have some audio equipment and all that kind of stuff and see if we pick anything up. Absolutely. Here's here's the strange part about this story, okay? If you delve into the Sasquatch world a little bit more, Mike, mm-hmm. you will know that a lot of heavy-duty researchers who've been doing this for a long time will tell you that Sasquatch seems to move in pairs or threes. Oh, interesting. And what, and what they do is they cordon you off to make you go into the area that they want you to go. They want you out of the, the area. So if you take the guy, the if, if this was a Sasquatch encounter, and I'm not saying it was, mm-hmm. I'm leaning towards that way, Right. but I have no proof. Mm-hmm. But if this was a Sasquatch encounter, we had the one close to Mike who is keeping us out of the north and pushing him towards the, and me towards the trail. Yeah. We then had the one coming up from the west that was pushing Mark more towards the trail. Now, usually, if they are in threes, there is one silent. So we would have headed back in towards where the crash site is. I'm assuming there was a third one or potentially a third one there to push us back out of that area if we would have been there. We were literally potentially surrounded by Sasquatch. Wow. So what do you, do you feel like there's some connection to this crash site and uh, the Sasquatch, or is it just the crash site just happens to be in their territory? Oh, the, you know what? That's such a great question because I actually posed that to Mike and Mark the other day because there's a, if you take the First Nations and Indigenous peoples' uh, idea of Sasquatch, this is a very spiritual, potentially interdimensional being. Mm-hmm. Okay, and if it is that and not a living, breathing type of bipedal animal that has been able to to literally stay hidden away from humankind for the last number of centuries. okay, we could be dealing with something that is very spiritual and protecting an area which basically, even though there's no bodies there, there were at one time. Yeah, there's some sort of maybe vibration of. Folks, Absolutely, folks that have left left the earth there. Absolutely, and that energy is still there, mm. and they may be protecting that as hallowed ground. The other theory about that is the reason why we had that is that one of the other theories that Sasquatch researchers will say is if you are being triangulated out of the area, that could potentially mean that there is female Sasquatch in the area with youngins. Oh wow! That they are trying to protect. So it's easier to be there. But we continue to monitor that. We, we're going to continue going out there, and we're going to continue to see if we can get any more contact. And we're going to be putting up a secondary gifting site in that area just to see if we can make some sort of contact. Well, that's awesome. When all this COVID nonsense is over, I want to come out and get some photos and, and some uh, some video and some audio because I've got some new uh, video equipment that I'd love to put to use in this way and <laughs> and uh, well, help you have a look around. Absolutely. My door is open. Don't bother with a hotel because I won't allow you to spend money. You can stay right at my house and we can head on out into the jungles of BC looking for the wild band they call Sasquatch. Awesome. 
Well, thanks a lot, Dave. This is really great. Not a problem. Take care. All right. And so I'll just give links and stuff to your show and uh, talk yeah, a little bit about that. you. Yeah, no problem. Wanna you get didn't you... expect that, did you? No. I, I, I mean, we, you and I uh, sort of uh, addressed a few of these things in a roundabout way when we talked on your show. But, uh, yeah. but uh, yeah, I absolutely am, am fascinated by, you know, what people have seen or think they've seen or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I haven't had any experience myself, but I'm open to it. You know, yeah. so um, well, I, I can't say it doesn't exist. Dave alluded a little bit to, in that conversation, to interdimension, interdimensionality. Yeah. And that there are a number of works. Uh, Dave alluded to a bit in that con- conversation about Bigfoot and yeah. interdimensionality. Yeah. Like yeah. He, he was talking about it being blurred and pixelated yeah. at one point and yeah. those kind of things like weird pixelation happening in the real world. And there are a number of books written on that subject. And I just wanted to uh, sort of bring some of those into the conversation. Just good. good. Yeah. Cause yeah. When I think Bigfoot, I think interdimensionality physics. Do you really? I do not. No. Okay. No. Okay. No. But I was going to say. Yeah, it is fascinating. So in his books, the Sasquatch people and their interdimensional connection and the Sasquatch, the psychic Sasquatch, Whoa. and their UFO Whoa. connection. Whoa. Jack Kiwani, Lapsaritis, MS, talks about the creatures as inter- interdimensional, possibly alien beings, citing the frequency of UFO reports commonly taking place alongside the reports of Sasquatch. Well, shit, they're just merging everything. Right? Wow. In the Sasquatch people and their interdimensional connection, in the chapter titled The E.T. UFO Connection, Lapsaritis states, quote, Because of people's fear, the Sasquatch are super selective about who they trust and will interact with. Most people are missing out on a great opportunity to grow and evolve. I have come to understand that when people change their thoughts, feelings, and attitude, they change their vibrational frequency. Too much intellectual static hinders a person from being more heartfelt. Thus, the person holds a lower vibration in which the Sasquatch and ETs are not particularly interested. One must be in one's heart space to attract them into one's life. Our government knows all about the Bigfoot slash UFO connection. They don't want to lose control of the masses as they might if ETs told us about our true origins and how the Sasquatch are really a race of ETs that migrated here via friendly star people eons ago. Many call these ideas conspiracy theories, but one has to collect all the facts, end quote. Hmm. Why are you making that face, Scott? <laughs> there, there's a lot to unpack in there. Right? It's well, pretty interesting. Uh, sure. Yeah, that, I mean, it's fascinating. Um, my, my my vibrations are telling me things. What are your, is your phone ringing or something? <laughs> no, no. Um, oh, uh, I don't know. I, uh. It's, it is a lot. I mean, it's a lot to try and understand. So I, it, I, I do find their humor in essentially what he's saying, and you can cut this if you want, what, in what he's saying is, um. Uh, no, it, I'm not going to cut it. Just it, it, go ahead. If you uh, want to believe, it, if you're smart, 
they're not going to come near you. You're not going to see them because if you're approaching it on an intellectual spectrum, mm-hmm. then they're not going to want, but if you dumb yourself down, hmm. then you're open to seeing them, which is an interesting right. a- approach. Okay. Um, interesting. But I mean, the, there's a nut, the, ch- the next chapter is called hyperdimensional Sasquatch and quantum physics. And Jesus. in that chapter, uh, Lapsaritis refers to American Bigfoot hunter Fred Beck's 1967 book, I Fought the Ape Man of Mount St. Helens. What? And Lapsaritis explains the disappearance of supposed Bigfoot tracks in the book, followed to the middle of a field as evidence of interdimensional travel, and that the researchers are able to cover, are unable to discover Sasquatch because they are not using all of the techniques of modern science that they have at their disposal, in this case, quantum physics. So what he's saying is uh, on, on Mount St. Helens, I believe there was like the footprints just suddenly disappeared in the snow? In, in a field. In, in a field. So, yeah. okay. So that's, all right, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. So Lapsaritis goes on to say, quote, it seems very clear to me that the average researcher has an intrinsic problem with aberrant states of reality. Otherwise, the Sasquatch mystery would have been solved a half a century ago. That's because there has never been an application of interdisciplinary of an interdisciplinary approach. Zoologists and animal experts were looking for an animal that doesn't exist. Hmm. End quote. So it's not an animal; it is something quantum. See, so yeah, that, that's I. I have a very different view on Sasquatch. If I if what I tend to believe and mm-hmm. what I tend to or want to believe are more akin to believe is um, they are just terrified of humans. You know, right, they're, sure. they're just, it's because yep. we, we still are discovering animals, yes. insects, yes. creatures yes. that we, we have never discovered before. Granted, that's a supremely large one. Yeah. Most things that we find are, are quite small, but still I would be more akin to very, very sparse population of them. Very, very few mm-hmm. and very hidden. Well, Lapsaritis still has more to say okay. on the subject. Okay. And he goes on to say, quote, this vital concept in relationship to star people and Sasquatch is being reported so frequently that a good investigator needs to look at all the possibilities especially toward where the evidence is leading. The keys to the entire mystery, based on my multiple contacts in the last three decades, so he's had 30 years of it, Mm -hmm. will be evident if a person, one, has an open heart that projects unconditional love by letting go of all fear and negative emotions. Two, becomes erudite in mental telepathy. What the hell does that mean? Learned. Oh, okay. Becomes erudite in mental telepathy. Three, accepts the fact that Sasquatch people, ETs, and some out-of-place cryptids are interdimensional. interdimensional. And four, accepts that many or all of these physical beings have access to portals or vortices that lead to another dimension or parallel world, end quote. Well, so I'll, I'll end that little ditty by saying I would watch that movie. Okay. I would watch the fuck out of that movie. I, I am honestly, I'm with you. I, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not too keen on the idea of it being an interdimensional creature. Yeah. 
But why were the uh, Indigenous folks talking about being knocked unconscious at certain kind at certain times, being touched by them? Mm-hmm. Because we've seen that with gray aliens mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. those kind of things. So, I mean that that could be fear. You see something. You see something in front of you, Terry. You just pass out. It could be you faint. You know, yeah. and it, so it, it's it's like um, the the idea that the um, men who were indigenous in North America saw the ships on the horizon, but they weren't unable to see them because they were so fantastic to mm-hmm. what they were used to seeing. Mm-hmm. That could be something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or perhaps you and I are just too thick and closed minded and aren't seeing what's in right in front of us. Well, I mean, that goes without saying. It is true. That <laughs> that, we are that goes with Maybe it has nothing to do with that, but just right. in general. So our friend Dave Scott suggested we do a future episode on the work of David Politis and his uh, and his missing four one one. You've seen the documentary, I, I have, assume. Yes. And Dave said he can provide us some connections there. And so for those who are unfamiliar, Politis is a former police detective who is now an investigator and writer known primarily for his self-published books and one dedicated to the reality of Bigfoot and his missing four one one series of books in which he documents the disappearance of people in national parks and elsewhere. He attributes mysteries, he attributes mysterious unspecified causes to these disappearances, while data data analysis suggests that these disappearances are not statistically mysterious or unexpected. Yeah, Yeah, I saw that, I watched that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like like I was saying uh, a little bit ago, um, I, I love Bigfoot, um, I think that there's a possibility that it's real. Mm-hmm. I just take a very simplistic approach to it because yeah. I'm a Luddite. That I find that other stuff is a little complicated and beyond uh, me. I, well. I think the more components and elements you start adding into these things, you know, UFOs, other dimensions, it, it just, it, scientifically it starts to become very um, unreal. Yeah, it, it's hard for me to wrap yeah, my... But we, maybe my brain is too puny. We, we, you know, that could be it, Mike. We just, again, we could just have such uh, low intellect. Oh, I'm, I'm fairly certain that I have low <laughs> intellect. I can't even spell low intellect. <laughs> so I've been holding off on this topic for a few reasons, but mainly because I wanted to do it justice, and it's already been covered a lot. Yeah. But hey, never by dark poutine. Exactly. So hopefully we've done a good job. Just Google the words Bigfoot or Sasquatch and you're down an endless internet rabbit hole. And we have barely scratched the surface here. Mm -hmm. Like barely. Oh, I would imagine. My research for this episode and over the years has taken me to some weird places, some I wish I could unsee, namely Bigfoot erotica. So if you're interested in that, uh, Google that. Oh, I can can fap to that. But the possibility of this creature has been taken seriously as well as a vast library of books and studies on Sasquatch, the FBI even looked into reports of the creature's existence Mm -hmm. and released an inclusive report in 2019. And Mm. we'll link to that in our show notes. Yeah. And we called this an introduction to Sasquatch because... Oh, God. There is so much to cover, and we hope to talk more uh, about it more in episodes down the road. It's a fun topic. It's a really fun and fascinating topic. And like I said, I, I do I do think that there is, I think, a small possibility, but a definite possibility that um, there could be these creatures out there. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it, it's yep. uh, if suddenly 
Uh, Suddenly it's happened to me. Uh-huh. It is pride uh-huh. after all. It, you know, it, it, there was a discovery and, uh, you know, there's like, it, it's proven. I, I wouldn't sit here and go like, well, son of a bitch. Like, you'd be like, okay, yeah, I yep. can see that. That makes sense. Yeah, I can see that. Yep. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised because we we have discovered animals and things that we thought constantly. were extinct. Constantly. A coelacanth, yeah. for example, the, yep. the weird looking Which we have one fish. in the aquarium here. Yeah. Vancouver Aquarium. Exactly. Yeah. And those were thought to be extinct for hundreds of yep. years. Yep. Um, and also, you know, people didn't believe, still don't believe some people don't believe that even dinosaurs existed. So, yeah. you know, well, some people, there's a lot of people who don't believe in a lot of smart things. We're seeing that in Florida. Oh, right Jesus. Now. <laughs> oh boy. That was, uh, that was upsetting. To me. That was really upsetting. But anyway, uh, Oh, let's see. We have some, uh, Oh, what's this? I guess it's time for voicemail because we're done with this week's case. Woo! Voicemail time. Uh, you can oh. leave us one at one eight seven seven three two seven five seven eight six or one eight seven seven D A R K P T N. And if your call stands out, you might hear it on the show. This one. Is we gonna like, get a call from Batman this time? I don't know what this is. It's a one eight hundred. I don't hear anything. Do you? Nope. Nope. Okay, uh, I we didn't. I don't know if we got a call from Batman, but we got a lot of calls. This past oh, week. Is that all from this week? Yeah, there's Holy a there's quite shit. a few of them, quite a few of them, and uh, um, yeah, there is a lot of them. So we're gonna we're gonna have to hold off on some, but uh, oh no, we listened to that one. We're gonna have to hold off on some because yeah, well, yeah, we'd have yeah. It would be way too many for us to listen to. So uh, let's listen to this one. And it is from somebody, I believe, in Connecticut. Their name is unknown. Hi, guys. My name is Susan, and I'm from Southington, Connecticut. I've been a big fan from day one. Scott makes me laugh out loud. Quote, it's better to shit in your hat than on the floor. It gets me every time. And, Mike, I love your true stories and your crazy voices. You really got me on the Christmas Away game. It was done so well that I had to Google it to be sure it was a joke. Every week is truly enjoyed, and I really look forward to your shows. And I love Canadians who don't commit crimes. So thank you so much. Keep up the great work, and can't wait till next week. Bye. Awesome. I... I love that um and i wouldn't say we we tried to troll people it wasn't the intent necessarily to troll people it was to have a fun episode it just but kinda I, happened. I i love i we hear so often oh you got me yeah you know again we and we didn't mean to hurt anybody's no, feelings we, it literally was like just we thought oh this is going to be so funny people are going to love it they're going to get a kick out of it and we weren't trying to be like, <laughs> let's see if these fools buy it. But my God, if I if I don't get a kick out of hearing people, I had to Google it. I was telling my friends and they were like, yeah, that's a movie. Like, oh, I love it. Yeah. Well, let's move forward with this one. Oh, interesting. What's this one? Hi, fellas. It's Alicia calling from Saskatchewan. I own a small market garden in Saskatchewan, close to Regina, and I listen to your podcast all the time. You make me and my plants very happy. Keep on trucking, fellas. It's nice to hear your voices every week. Have a great day. Bye. 
Well, well, thank you, Alicia. That's very kind. Thank you. This might have some of my favorite uh, in, wrong uh, translation in it. It's uh, yeah. It, what does it say? I, Go I own, on. I own a small market card, and then just catch when the coaster a China and yep. listen to your podcast. All yep. the-, <laughs> the, trans- the transcriptions are terrible. <laughs> and <laughs> they really are. And then just catch when the coaster a China. I listen. <laughs> Oh, boy. Oh, shit. Uh, here we have one. Uh, looks like, I hope, this guy's name is Rob, but it looks like it may be. I don't know. Uh, who knows? That, that's what the translation says anyway. <laughs> so uh, let's see. Hey, boys. It's uh, Rob uh, from Port Perry, Ontario, which is about to 20 minutes north of the Dirty Schwa. Uh, about three weeks ago, I started listening to you guys while I was cutting hay, and right now I'm trying to fix my silo, so I'm underneath a 90-foot silo, uh, hoping not to become part of one of your podcasts, uh, uh, Unsolved Mysteries of Word Rob Go Under the Silo. Anyways, uh, you guys are doing a great job. Keep it up, and I uh, have to go on your website maybe and uh, send you some donut money. Chat later. Bye. Wow, was, thanks, Rob. That was really cool, like a, an actual person doing labor out there. Yeah, yeah. What the hell? Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. I, I was probably, like, napping <laughs> when he when he left this voicemail, Yeah, and, that, and I found it exhausting. No, I had nothing to do with building a site. Wow. Wow. Wow, Rob. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Well, here's one who uh, I looks like went to your same uh, elementary school, Scott. Uh, oh. It was, okay. Hey, Mike and Scott. Um, I'm calling from Burnaby. I just recently found your podcast. Um, I was looking for some more Canadian stories and, um, I found you guys and it's great. Um, you guys do an amazing job. I also went to Sir Richard McBride elementary. I lived just a couple streets down East 27th, uh, they replaced the playground after the fifth time someone tried to burn it down, but still pretty much the same place anyways um i just love the way you guys do your podcast um you're just so sympathetic and very very canadian it's good to get a canadian perspective um especially with america being so loud next door so um yeah i hope you guys have a great weekend um pooping your tukes bye <laughs> there you go <laughs> oh, that's so cool another somebody who went to i wonder how uh, you know, it's not proper to ask. I wonder how old she is. Like, we, we, were we there at the same She's time? She's probably a lot younger than you, Scott, because you're an elderly. Old yeah, yeah, geriatric, some would say. Yeah. Wow. That's cr- that's cool, though. Like, we, I mean, we may have sat in the same classrooms. Yeah. I mean, there's a good likelihood because there's not a lot of classrooms. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That was very cool. Yeah, there you Re- go. Let's give each other some McBride high fives. So there you go. Um, that's it for voicemails for this week. There are a few that we didn't get to that we'll save for another week. But uh, yeah, if you uh, want to leave us a vo- voicemail, you can do so at one eight seven seven three two seven five seven eight six or one eight seven seven D A R K P T N. And again, if your call is awesome, uh, you might hear it on the show. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. As long as you don't call us libtards or anything like that, mean. I mean, feel free, but you're not going to get played. Yeah, exactly. All right. I guess you know what time it is now, Scott. I do. It is time 
to it move is. on to the Patreon shout-out. Patreon. Uh, where, Patreon. Where I get to talk about all the friends I have in the world. Yeah, I have none. Well, I mean, Mike, maybe that says something about you. Yeah, it does. It does. It says I'm, uh, I'm a bit of a wangdoodle. <laughs> a wangdoodle! Wow! <laughs> yeah. Kind of sounds delicious. <laughs> I mean, picture chocolate and caramel in a wangdoodle. <laughs> maybe maybe wangdoodle is a good thing. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Wow. Maybe wow. it isn't, though. Oh, I remember when I was a kid and I used to devour wangdoodles. Oh, that's just terrible. Um, yeah, maybe. No. I don't know if we want to. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing devouring wangdoodles there, well, Scott? Well, it reminds me of that joke. You know, hey, do you remember when you were a kid and you used to blow bubbles? It is that time. It really is that time. It's that time. It's that time. It Looks is. like Jessica Rains uh, from Brandon, Mississippi, upped her pledge. Oh, M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. Yeah, that's right. Well, thank you very much. Next up we have, oh boy, who do we have here? We have... Saria Violet Duncan oh. from Idaho Idaho Falls. Guess which state? Idaho uh, Falls, uh, in Indiana, Indianapolis. Idaho. Idaho. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that funny how that worked out? Idaho Falls is in Idaho now? <laughs> it is, certainly. They moved it. I don't know what she does there, though. Uh, she, well, what do you do in Idaho, Mike? Your potato farmer. Your potato farmer, exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly. She's a potato farmer. I drove through Idaho, through the very tippy top, the skinny part of Idaho. Yeah, and between we... Washington, Washington, and uh, and uh, and uh, Montana. Did people throw potatoes at you? As Nobody you did, but no. you, you drive through there pretty quick because it's very skinny. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah if you look on a map, it's quite yeah. Skinny. I know this little. Yeah. yeah, just a little. It goes up like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, potato farmer. Oh, um, good. It's a very small farm. Some would call it a backyard. Oh, yeah. Um, some, some would. Some would call it a backyard. Um, and you know, like like, I think uh, a good year. There's 27 potatoes. Oh boy. Yeah. But whew. 27 whole potatoes. But, those, but but they're 27 fabulous potatoes. But you know who like the potatoes? It's the Irish. Oh, oh no, don't. Oh, my oh. goodness, I was down there the other day and I had a potato. It was amazing. Well, I'll be fucked. <laughs> well, I'll be fucked. <laughs> oh, boy. I guess is Conor McGregor listening to the show. Oh, I hope not. He'll beat the shit out of me. <laughs> he will. <laughs> it would, yeah, his kids could probably beat the shit out of me, so whatever. Yeah, well. Next up we have from my one of my uh, very favorite hometowns is Anna McGinnis. And she's from Halifax, Nova Scotia. And what does she do in Halifax, Scott? Oh, she's a lobster reproducer. Oh, she reproduces lobster. That's yes. fantastic. Yeah, she forces them to oh, have intercourse. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So yeah. she's into it. That's actually would be called lobster husbandry. Oh, well, uh, that's not the technical. Yeah, that actually lobster. would be the technical oh, name really? to it. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Well, well, well. Times are a changing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's yeah. very patriarchal, though. Is a yeah, well, it, it, sound, it does. Yeah, it yeah. does. It does very much sound like it, like it, mm-hmm. it, it's. Uh, she, you know, she literally she just holds two lobsters and then does this. Oh, she just bonks them together. Yeah. Well, you know, the, you know what else you do in Halifax with lobsters? You eat them. You eat them. Yeah. 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 yeah I hear that. I hear that. You know what I'm craving lately? 
Lobsters? A lobster roll. Have you ever had a lobster roll? No. Essentially, it's a hot dog with a whole crap load of lobster stuffed into it. I'm not the biggest fan of lobster and crab. I don't dislike it, but I'm I'm also not, I don't crave it. Get out. (laughs) (laughs) Just give it five more minutes, Mike. The show will be done. (laughs) Yes. Uh, and that's when dark poutine ends. It's the lobster, the great lobster battle of right? 2020. Exactly. Uh, here we go. Uh, oh, sorry. I'm just clicking on things that I, why did I click away from that? That's a great question. I don't know. Huh, I didn't mean to do that. Well, you did. I did that. <laughs> it's been done. Yeah. What the heck? Oh, here we go. Uh, next up we have... Rebecca Rosilius, and she is from Elliott Lake, Ontario. Oh. What does she do there? Oh, she's... In a, Elliott Lake. Yeah, she's a esthetician. Oh, nice. Yep. Does she? Will she do my nails? Uh, no. Why not? Uh, have you seen your nails? My nails are... Uh, yeah, they're pretty grody. <laughs> Some would say they're naily. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, it's about she is more of a cuticle specialist. Oh, yeah, she focuses on cuticles, which isn't where most people go in that industry. They you focus know on the nails. Cuticles are cute, cute. <laughs> and they tickles. <laughs> cute tickles. <laughs> so she focuses on cuticles while yeah. she does her esthetician. Because yeah. it's thing. a neglected most most estheticians are like, I don't know, I'm not here for the cuticles. They I'm do here for deal the with the cuticle, you know, Scott. I know, but they don't want to. Oh, I they don't you. specialize in it. They don't give it the extra oh, zoom. Yeah, they, they zhuzh it up. They she does. She already done had herses. <laughs> wow. She oh man, that's from RuPaul. Is it? Yeah. I I've I've got to watch it. I was just looking at it the other day, and I'm like, I got to watch this. This is good. I got to watch. She this. already done had herses. Oh my god, that just sounds amazing. Yeah. Oh my god. Anyway. So thank you, Rebecca Resilius. Yeah, yeah. Keep 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 cuticling. Next from Point Fortune oh. in Point Point Fortune in Quebec. Sounds delicious. Elaine Gunderson. Oh, thank you, Elaine. Elaine Gunderson. What yeah, does Elaine do there? Wasn't her uh, family in uh, Fargo? The movie, the movie Fargo. Oh, I thought she was in Harry and the Gundersons. Also that. <laughs> it's Andersons. Yeah, Harry and the Hendersons. I mean. But it's Gundersons. Gundersons. Harry and the so she was in what? Ooh, Fargo? Yeah, it wasn't the, the, oh, it's the Gundersons. Oh, it's the Gundersons. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. 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 We're, we, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Prowler needs a jump. Well, what does she do there? Uh, she jumps Prowlers. Oh, in, in, in Quebec? Yeah. I didn't know they had Prowlers. They do, they do. They ship them over from... Minnesota. Yep, from Fargo, North Dakota. North Dakota. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, so uh, that's just what they call the job. Hmm. It's not actually that she's she's jumping prowlers, but that's what they call it. It's the slang for the job. She 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 jump starts cars. Good. Yep. So if your car is broken down and you're in Quebecois, then you give her a little ringy dingy. And she will come over and just she will jump start the hell out of your car. There you go. And away you go. You back back to driving, back to your travels, wherever they may be taking you, because she won't judge you based on where you are going. Hmm. That's her service is just like no. I deliver the service no matter what. And then you can go. You can continue forth on your journey. There you go. Yeah. And from Edmonton, Alberta. 
Oh, we have awesome. Lauren Phillips up her pledge. Well, thank you, Lauren thank Laurel Laurel Phillips yeah, up her pledge. It's very kind of you, Laurel. We appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. What does What did she do? I can't remember what oh, she does. Oh, I think it had something to do uh, with mosquitoes. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think something to do with mosquitoes. Oh. Milking mosquito milker. I didn't realize that mosquitoes were mammals. They are, and they have little teats. That you can get milk from. Scott Douglas Hemingway said that. That was not Michael Brown. That was Scott Douglas Hemingway. I'm just talking about mosquito anatomy. Okay. And and their little teats. Moving on. (laughs) So thank you, Laurel. Uh, Next we have Nicola W. And and I don't know where Nicola is from, nor do I know what Nicola does. Boise, Idaho. Boise, Idaho again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we're, we're back in Idaho. We're back in Idaho. Well, I mean, and, and more than one people in person. She listen, can't right? possibly be a potato farmer in Idaho. Well, guess, she, guess what she is. What is she? she? She's not a potato farmer. Well, I, yeah. fantastic. <laughs> it's great news, isn't it? It is. Because I don't want to pigeonhole everybody. No. As working in. No, that makes us look uneducated. It does. Well, me. <laughs> And wouldn't be too far from uh, the by, truth. By association, <laughs> also meaning me. Collateral damage. <laughs> Mike's got collateral damage. Collateral damage. Uh, no, that's she, a T-shirt right there. Oh my fuck! Collateral damage. <laughs> what have I done now? Yeah. Oh my god, that is good. Uh, no, she doesn't. She doesn't work in the potato industry. What does she do? Uh, she owns uh, several gas stations. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, it's pretty. It's pretty simple. You know, she's a gas station owner. She's a gas station owner. Um, it's a it's it's a tough industry, Mike. Yep. I don't know if you've ever owned any gas stations. No, I have no desire to own a oh, gas station. Okay, interesting, yeah. interesting. Yeah. It's it's a tough industry. Uh, prices go up and sometimes they go down. Most usually up. And I then people come in and get mad. Why is it so goddamn expensive? There's a lot of yelling involved. Yeah. So, uh, you know, kudos to her. For, for for somebody needs to do that work. Fantastic. Yeah. And next we have our donut money donors. Donuteers. They're donuteers. First up we have Kit McLeod. What? That is the best name I've ever heard. Yeah. And Kit said, thanks for the podcasting entertainment, Mike and Scott. I know not where Kit is from, no. nor do I know what Kit does for a job. You don't know either of those? I don't know either of those things. Well, Kit is from... Boise, I don't know. Kit is from Jesus. <laughs> Kit is from um, oh Jesus! Like it's such a tough name to pronounce. Like I'm I'm struggling. Uh, I gotta. It's it's oh my god! It's one of those names. It's one of those names. Yeah, there's, uh, there's often names to yeah, oh, places, uh, but it's one of those ones that's really hard to pronounce. Like, um, like uh, Miami. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that is it. Oh, wow! How did you pronounce it so smoothly? Because there's, Mi- there's Miami, a, yeah, Miami, Miami, my, my, am, oh, e. me. There's only five letters in Miami. <sighs> That's why it's so tough. So many. <laughs> That's why it's so tough. Yeah. Uh, what she does there? Yeah. Or he? I don't know. Kit. Uh, what Kit does? What there? Kit does there is um, teaches bossa nova. <laughs> Is Bossa Nova a dance or, or is it? Well, you, you can dance music. to Bossa Nova. I didn't know there was such a dance yeah, as Bossa Nova. I just, yeah, well, they just talked to Kit. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. So thanks, Kit. And our uh, 
He's got skill power. And next we have Alana Carroll. Oh. And Alana didn't send us a note. Okay. But uh, where is Alana from? Alana is from uh, Portugal. Where's she from? Portugal. Portugal. L- Lisbon? Exactly. Wow, I'm good at this today. You're, you're, yeah, you're, you're in the. You're feeling it. What does Ilana do in Portugal? Oh, uh, she's a potato farmer. No, Ilana. Uh, what she does in Portugal is she's a musician. What does she music? <laughs> what does she music? Mike asks. <laughs> what does she? Mu- well, let me tell you what she musics. Uh, she's in a ska band, which you oh. wouldn't think in Portugal. But she's not a white supremacist ska band. No. It's like the specials. Like, they're very diverse. Most ska, the ska is not it, a, a... It gets maligned. It, it does, but it... it I've never heard of a Portuguese ska band, though. That's what I'm saying. This is very original. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know what they're called? No. Scosities. Scos- no, no, sorry. Scotostrophes. Scotostrophes. Yeah, because Scotostrophes. Woo, it's a dilly of a pickle. Scotostrophes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and they play they play stadiums there. You would be surprised at how many stadiums they have there. Well, there there are a few because they have a lot of uh, the footy, a cornucopia of the footy. Of, they play the uh, football. Yeah, they, they play the football there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then once the once the footy footy's done, they come out there and they they have ska. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's lots of dancing. It's a good time. It's yeah, good well, time. it is a good time. So thank you so much to all our patrons and Donut Money donors, past and present, for your help to keep us doing what we do. If you want to support, if you want to show your support of Dark Poutine, you could subscribe at dark at patreon.com slash dark poutine. Or for a one-time donation, you can send us donut money at via PayPal at our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. If you don't already, it would mean a lot to us if you subscribe to the show. You can easily find us on iTunes, Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. We're just on Spotify hanging out with Joe Rogan when he shows up. Yeah, when yeah, yeah, he's he's waiting for us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Check out our website, darkpatine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Give us a like or follow on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Dark Poutine. Most importantly, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. Tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Don't forget, we're taking our Canada break, Canada Day break next week, but we'll be back the week after with a whole new episode. So to all you Canadians, have a happy Canada Day, and to our American cousins, happy 4th of July. <laughs> Until we return, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.